Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church. This message is from our Renovate series, where we take a look at relationships through a biblical perspective and was recorded at our Menifee campus. You know what's exciting about this Sunday is that. You hear that? You hear that? Come on. Um, You know what's exciting about this Sunday? Do you guys know what this Sunday is? It's Pentecost Sunday. So uh, 49 days after Easter, you do Pentecost Sunday because it was, you know, 50 days later, spirit came. There was a, a period of time, so there were 40 days after the resurrection, Jesus was around, he was showing he was okay, he was showing that he'd physically been raised from the dead, demonstrating the resurrection, and then, and then he leaves, right? And so that was about 10 days ago in this time span. So there was this 10-day period where they didn't have Jesus and they have the Holy Spirit coming in power yet. That'd be the biggest bummer time to be a Christian would be those 10 days. And then th- this Sunday is the, marks the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so I was just reminded of that this morning and just super expectant, thinking, you know, that same spirit is within every one of you who are believers. And, um, and he's going to come and he's going to do great things through your gifting. Um, and he's going to do things here uh, to display Christ. And so let's pray with expectancy. Father, we come before you and... Um, we just are coming here looking for your grace, Lord. We need your grace. We're going to talk about parenting this morning. And Lord, we just pray that you would give us grace. I know that as I talk about this, not all is well. There are broken relationships between parents and children. There's, um, there's weights of uh, just the burden of infertility and dealing with not being able to have a child yet. Or there's um, past uh, abuses when I think about family, I think about lots of pain and, or fears. Um, fearful parents, Lord, we just pray that you would come in your grace and speak to us, Lord. Give us a vision for what parenting is to be. Help us to just cast aside our, our current failures and our past failures, Lord, and just put them at the foot of the cross and then come before you to learn from you, Lord. We want you to come and apply the gospel to our wounds and apply the spirit to empower us this morning. And we come expectant, Lord. You come and you meet with us every week and we're looking forward to it again. In Jesus' name, amen. So when there's, we're in this series called Renovate, we're going to be in Ephesians 6.4, and we're in this series called Renovate, and we're looking at how God renovates our relationships. And this morning, we're going to talk about how God specifically renovates parenting, okay? So we'll be in Ephesians 6.4, and this is really important even if you don't currently have children in the home. I mean, most of you don't, right? It's only some of you that do. And, um, and this is important for you for two reasons, really. When you came to Christ, you joined a church family, and that family has lots of children. And you are a part, you know, like they say, it takes a village. You are a part of the discipleship of those children. We currently have somewhere around three dozen kids, and there's more coming all the time. And so it's important that you know something about God's plan for parenting because of that. And if you look at our mission field, guys, here in Menifee, if you look at the demographics, uh, ministry to parents and children is a huge part of our ministry. And so we think through the things we're going to do for that. We do children's ministry on Sunday morning. That's one way that we reach out to parents and families. Moms groups, you know, that's another way, really powerful way to do ministry in this community. Um, we're going to have a parenting group in the fall and uh, kind of like a study with the, includes childcare and stuff like that that we're going to do to equip parents. And, um, and then pretty soon we need to start like a middle school, high school group because just for my children, um, because I have one going into high school and I have one going into seventh grade. And so um, I'm like, we need to start this. And so they'll be the, the first members and probably get some sort of pin for that. 
and then uh, invite their friends, and we'll just kind of start it that way. But there's a lot of kids that would love to be involved in some way in the church, but maybe their parents don't want to bring them. We run into that a lot, where kids at that age, they're like, yeah, sure, I'll come to a youth group, I'll come to church. Their parents don't necessarily want to bring them, and so to reach out to them. We need to think long-term. If you look at uh, Psalm 145, it says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. So that's what it's about. It's about us declaring the mighty acts of God to the next generation. We need to constantly be thinking about that. Um, as we go into this culture, though, our culture is split on kids. Um, some of them see children as a burden, right? An unnecessary burden. And we see in some groups in the U.S., we see declining birth rates and things like that, as children seem like just an unnecessary burden. On the flip side, maybe more common in our community, children aren't a burden. Children are our identity. Am I right? We can make children our identity. Um, They can become our idols. They're the ones that we find our meaning and significance in. Um, We find our our value and our worth in their accomplishments, whether their accomplishments are sports or school or their career or even their looks. We have a tendency to live through our children, to have our children somehow be the great display of our worth. And you know, guys, it's totally not fair to them. You know, you might think they're getting a good deal. They're not getting a good deal. After a while, you don't want to be somebody's idol. You don't want to be somebody's um, display of their worth. It's far too much pressure. But the Bible gives us a different view. The Bible says that that children aren't a burden but a blessing. Psalm 127 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. Like arrows in the hands of a mighty warrior are children of your youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks at his enemy's gates. There's lots of pastors like that that speak of children as being a blessing. In this picture, they're they're like arrows for a warrior, you know? Kind of gives the image, too. It doesn't say that there, but the intent is to send them off, right? As as arrows. Um, And so they're not a burden. They're a blessing. And they're not about our image. They're about God's image, okay? I think that's a really important thing for our particular cultural moment. Genesis 127 says God created... Man in his own image, in the image of God, he created a male and female. So, guys, our children are created not to reflect our worth and our goodness. They're created to reflect God's worth. And so children are a blessing, not a burden. Children are about God's image, not ours. And, um, and, and, you know, though children are a blessing, they can be hard, right? Can parenting be hard? Okay, so that was pretty easy to get an amen on that one. Um, Parenting can be hard, right? And um, I, you know, I'll tell you just from personal, um, some people say, you know, when you get married, you find out how real selfish you are and all that stuff. That didn't happen with me because Tasha and I actually like to do all the same things. Okay, so I didn't realize I was selfish. I thought, oh, I'm so, such a sacrificial husband and I'm so humble and all these things. Well, it just turned out we like to do all the same things. Now, but when we had our first child, I don't want to do hardly anything an infant wants to do. Okay, like I don't want to stay up all night. I don't want to wake up in the middle of the night. I don't want to change diapers. There's like tons of stuff that an infant wants to do that I do not want to do. And so that's what really showed me who I really was. I mean, I remember a couple of moments. Tosh was working at the time, and on the weekends she would go, and I was left with this little baby. And, um, and he was, he's super awesome now, but when he was a baby, he was tough. And um, I remember being angry at an infant. And I remember the moment where I realized, like, you're mad at an infant. Like, you're an evil person, you know? I was just like, I just was so confronted with my own sin. It was like, boom, like a big light on it. And, um, and, 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 and parenting has become more and more enjoyable as they get older. We have one that's a, a teenager now, and we love the teenage years. 
Um, he is an awesome child. We're enjoying him. And I know what you guys are thinking. Just wait. Okay, guys, let me just tell you something. We don't do just wait, okay? Um, people do that with, with marriage, too. Newlywed, they're all excited. Oh, yeah, we love each other. And what do you say to them? Oh, just wait. You're like the prophet of doom, okay? Let's not be a community of the prophet of doom, okay? And with parenting, it's like, oh, yeah, we love, oh, such a good baby. Just wait till they're two. And it's like, why do we do that? It's such a terrible thing to do to people. Or, hey, I really like my kid. Oh, just wait till they're teenagers. You know, guys, let's move into each stage of life hopeful, okay? And if we get a little that crushed, it's okay. Let's not do it ahead of time, though. Let's go in hopeful. Let's desire to, at each stage of the relationship, dig deeper into the relationship with them. Because, uh, you know, and you know, guys, parenting's hard. And because parenting's hard, we sometimes will try things, anything, to get control and order, right? I mean, there's that point where you go, like, I'll do anything, right? And, um, and we try crazy things. In fact, we try things our parents did that we specifically told other people were terrible. And then we find ourselves doing them because we're desperate, right? We're desperate. Well, what's happening in this text, guys, is the Lord wants to sit us down. He wants to tell us first something we should never do. And then he wants to tell us an overall vision for parenting. And so um, and before I unpack this, I know there's a long intro, but before I unpack this, I want to unburden you in two ways. And the first way is, and this is for you guys that are parents right now, will be parents in the future, or, you know, you're still parents, but they've moved on. I want to say to you, how your children ultimately turn out is, is ultimately up to God, okay? I think there's, especially amongst a lot of Christians, this idea that children are vending machines, you know, you put in your quarters, you get a Coke, that somehow if you put in your biblical parent, you automatically get this wonderful adult Christian person. It doesn't work that way. These are actual human beings, and we don't have control over them. Okay, God is ultimately in control. And you might say, well, what about Proverbs uh, 22, 6? Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Guys, you've got to remember, that's a proverb, not a promise. And I think a lot of harm is done within Christian circles with taking the Proverbs as promises. They are Proverbs, which means that they state the way things usually go. Okay, they're wise statements about life, that life usually flows this way. I'll give you an example. Proverbs 10, 4 says, a slack hand causes poverty. And the hand of the diligent makes rich. In general, yes. Always, no. And so we need to remember that. We want to search the scriptures on how God wants us to parent our children, do the best we can by the power of the Holy Spirit, be hopeful at every stage, and then we just pray for God to do the results. Does that unburden you a little bit? Because you were not meant to carry that burden. That somehow you can cause people to come to Christ. That somehow you can cause them to turn out a certain way. Um, you can't. It's ultimately up to God. But Proverbs are usually the way things work. So we, we want to parent the way that's wise. Um, secondly, another thing that um, I want to say about parenting is it's never been done without sin. Okay? You guys realize there was no parenting before Genesis 3? Like marriage has been done sinlessly for however long that lasted. Parenting has never been done without significant sin. You will not be the exception. Okay? Does that unburden you a little bit? I think that's important. God does not expect you to parent perfectly. It's actually never been done. Okay, you're not going to be the first. So now that you're loosened up a little bit, you know, I kind of did that. Um, let's look at Ephesians 6.4. Let's look at what we're not to do. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Um, we look at here, it, it, it specifically speaks to fathers. And it's interesting. Why would it speak to fathers when really mothers do, you know, at least as much parenting of their children? 
Guys, it's because God calls men to lead in their families, not just with the um, kind of pattern of parenting, but the tone of parenting is, is highly up to dad. So we're called to give direction and tone to parenting. And where there's no dad present or the, the dad's not a believer, God works in wonderful ways through moms. Can you think of somebody in the New Testament like that? Think of Timothy, right? In uh, 2 Timothy, Paul says uh, to Timothy that he remembers that it was his mom and his grandma that taught him the scriptures. So apparently Timothy's dad either wasn't present or wasn't a believer, but it was the mom and the grandmother, uh, Lois and Eunice, that were the ones that, 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 that grew him up in the faith. And then what's really cool about Timothy's story is that later Timothy does find a father figure in the church. Do you know who it was? It was Paul, right? He's always writing to him as my son. And, so, and God's still doing that. God is still providing those role models and those fathers to those who don't have them. Um, but when fathers are present, God is looking to us to engage our children spiritually and emotionally. And, uh, and Paul says here what we're not to do as parents. He says, do not provoke your children to anger. And he doesn't give specifics, which I think is interesting. Let me just throw it out to you guys. This is for interaction. Um, how might parents provoke their children to anger? Go. You don't have to raise your hand. Hmm? Discipline in the way that we discipline. You know, there's certain ways of disciplining that provoke our kids to anger. What else? Yelling, so the, the way that we communicate with them in a way that's, that tears them down. Yeah. Was there another one? Hypocrisy. Okay, yeah. You know, do as I say, not as I do. Right? Yeah, they really do that, don't they? Constant correction. So there's a way to correct your child, but there's a, a, a constant kind of correcting them. Anything else? Disrespecting them as a human being, right? Was unrealistic expectations. Yeah, here's a few that I have, and they match up with yours. First one would be being too restrictive. God has called us to teach our children to live under authority, live under our authority, and live under God's authority. That's our job to do that. Um, and we want our children to come to see that living under good authority is a good thing, okay? which is not our culture's message. <laughs> but the biblical message is living under good authority is a good thing because we want them ultimately to live under God's authority. But we hinder this goal when we're too restrictive in our rules. Okay? We can have our rules in such a way that they're so restrictive that they don't accurately reflect God's rules. Because you think about God, God's laws are generous. I mean, you look at, if, at Genesis 2, he's like, you can eat from any tree of the garden except for one. And it says earlier in the text that he planted everything that was good for food. That's the kind of God is, God that God is, is he says, just don't go for that one. That one's poison. Everything else is good. Go for it, right? He's not restrictive. 1 John 5, 3 says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome, okay? So being too restrictive, we can provoke our kids to anger. Um, another one would be disciplining out of anger. Okay, now, warning, this will be very convicting to both those who kids are grown and you have them now, or you had a really bad minivan ride over. Um, <laughs> but we can provoke our kids to anger when we discipline, uh, when we discipline out of anger, Okay. Um, when your child's disobedient, we should never discipline them out of anger. You know, we should never be doing that. Either the physical discipline or even restrictions and stuff. How many of us have, like, gotten so angry, thrown out, well, you're grounded for five years, you know? Like, okay, that was out of anger. That wasn't my rational part. That was, like, you know, my, my lower reptile part of my brain, right? <laughs> Just going nuts on them, right? Um, if you're mad, you need to take some time to cool off. You need to pray, you know, have them wait in their room. You know, justice does not have to be meted out immediately. Like, it, there won't be a problem if we wait. Um, sometimes what we've done, we'll put them in their room, have them calm down. 
and say, you, you know what, you need to calm down, you know, but really, like, I need to calm down, you know. Why don't you go calm down? Right? Let them calm down, come in, you explain to them what they did wrong, you explain why it's wrong. I think a lot of times explaining why these rules aren't arbitrary, these are good rules, so that they can come to find agreement in those. You explain what the punishment is, you explain why, and then you give them the punishment, whether it's, you know, they're getting spanked or they're, you know, losing some privileges or something, and then you assure them that they're forgiven and it's over. I think that's a really common thing that I've experienced in my own parenting is this kind of coldness that extends or this kind of bitterness that extends. When they're forgiven, they're forgiven. We're modeling God's forgiveness of them. Um, another one would be shaming and insulting them. I think this we've seen at the store. You know, you see this at the restaurant. I think all of us have resorted to it at times. But parents um, be, have, can be pushed to a breaking point where they're disobedient child and they resort to publicly insulting them and berating them, right? I always wonder what to do when I'm in a store situation like that, and I see it right in front of me. But like, you know, maybe you guys could tell me. I don't know what to do. I feel like something needs to be done because I, this is an injustice happening here, and yet I know that if I step in, this is going to go ugly. But I get it, guys. I get being frustrated. I get feeling helpless. I get feeling embarrassed and just reacting, Right? But when we do this, we provoke our children to anger. And so we're called to call them out on their sin privately, and we're t- but we're not called to ever tear them down in the way we speak. Difference would be, do you see this as sin? Do you see what this is a problem? And saying stuff like, you're stupid, you're foolish, you know, you're always this way, that's tearing them down. Uh, Frederick Douglass, who is a, um, he was an American escaped slave in the 1800s and became an abolitionist and an author. There's a not, diaries or the narrative of Frederick Douglass. Um, and a diplomat, he said this, Frederick Douglass said, it is easier to build strong children than to fix broken men. And I know that's super convicting, and it is to me right now. I get choked up. I'm just like, I want to be the parent that builds strong children and doesn't raise broken people because of the things that I said, you know, because of the ways that I tear them down. What, you know what this command really does for me? I was thinking about, and I was reading the commentaries in the same kind of response. This command respond, r- reminds us, it's do not provoke children to anger, that our kids are real-life human beings. Isn't it easy to forget that? It's, it's easy to forget that they are real-life human beings, and because they're real-life human beings, they're our neighbors. Love your neighbor as yourself, includes our children. Um, we owe them the golden rule. So whatever you wish others would do to you, do to them also. Now, we have authority over them, and we, ha- we need to discipline them, and, and we can tell them what to do and when to do it and things like that. We need to remember that we've been given a temporary position of authority over them, but they are our equals in dignity, value, and worth always. I mean, there are brothers and sisters in the Lord, right? I mean, sometimes I'll say that to my boys. I'll be like, call them brother or whatever. And they're like, why do you say that? And I say, because we're both believers. And like, in the kingdom of God, we are equals. You know, I have authority over you during this time. But, but my, our long-term relationship is a brother relationship, you know, under the Lord. So we need to remember that. Um, that includes, guys, how we deal with them with social media. I'm going to be super convicting. I'm so sorry for this. I just feel like it needs to be said. And I do feel like the intent of the text here, Paul is, and God is wanting to defend the weak, and he does this, right? He goes, I know these children are under the authority of parents. The parents have the control here. And so I want to make sure that these, these children are being subordinate to these parents are defended. And so that's what Paul's doing. But I think this also um, fits with social media. You guys, we got to really think about how we're portraying them. Ask them. As they get older, you ask them, right? Uh, with one of my sons with Mason, I'll, if I take a picture, I'll be like, is this picture okay with you? And sometimes he'll be like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. But I can tell it's not fine, you know? And I'm like, dude, this is your image. This is you. This is your life. 
you tell me whether you're okay with this picture and caption, you know? And, um, and we need to think about that with our young kids. I mean, they aren't necessarily able to say right now, but these things last on the Internet. We don't know how long they last. We don't know how these will be used in the future. And we need to think through, you know, maybe we don't want to post a picture of our kids having a tantrum. Maybe we don't want to say things about their failures, you know, and thinking through those things. So just think about that. They are their own human beings. And it's crazy that we've been entrusted with human beings. You ever think about this? Like, I'm thinking about when we got had Mason, and, and, and you know what the one thing they wanted us to do before we could leave with an actual human being in our total control? A car seat. Like, if you got a car seat, you can have this human and do whatever you want. Is that crazy? I mean, I was like, this seems like there should be a test, or, like, they don't even know we can do this. Oh, but you got the car seat. You got it fastened in there. You're good. You know, and I remember having this fearful realization um, before our first one was born. I'd be driving around my truck between my appointments, and I'd be just thinking about it. And every once in a while, I think about, like, wait, so this kid one day is going to tell stories about their childhood, and I'm the dad in the story. And I was thinking, oh, my gosh, you know. N.D. Wilson, in his book, Death by Living, says this. Other real-life souls are now depending on you. You are the creator of their childhoods. You are the influencer of their dreams, tastes, and fears. You are the MC of their reality. The one who introduces these small people to the true personality of their maker as imaged more by your life than by your words. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know? Now let's remember, guys, I'm not backing down on the fact that kids ultimately turn out uh, is not totally dependent on you. Ultimately, it's dependent on God. These are their own people and things like that. But we, I think it's helpful to just kind of take a step back and go, this is a human being, you know? This is my brother or sister in Christ. Another way we can um, uh, provoke them to anger is by relying on our authority instead of building a relationship. And I want to show you guys a diagram, and I have this really hip, super high-tech way of doing it. But let me show you a diagram about our um, relationship and authority to our kids, okay? I'm going to turn this way. Okay, so here's the graph. Okay, this is time, okay? So this is when they're zero, and this is when they're like, you know, 18 or whatever, going off here. And this is influence. Okay, I'm just going to put an I here, okay? Influence time, right? Well, when your child's first born, you have a 100% authority, okay? This is a line for authority. You have 100% authority. You can take that baby, and you can put them wherever you want, and do whatever you want, and all those things, right? But as time goes on, your authority diminishes, Okay? Look at Exodus 20. It says, honor your father and mother. We're always to honor them. We're not always to obey them. You know? There's a time in which later on when they move out, when they get married, when they, they're on their own, that your authority is, is gone. Okay? But what should happen as far as influence goes is we should be counting more and more on relationship. Okay? So we build our relationship so that in the time when we have no authority, the influence we have them is through relationship. And the problem happens when you're out here and you're always pulling the authority card, right? You're always pulling the authority card because you haven't developed a relationship where they're actually seeking out your counsel and stuff. You've always just pulled authority card, authority card, authority card. And then you get out here and you don't have any authority card. You know, I think about it with people that talk about, um, you know, it's popular on the Internet to say, you know, this is what a man needs to be to marry my daughter. Or, you know, this is the kind of guy that can marry my daughter. Um, and this is going to be a bummer. I don't know that you have any say. I, I know, I have a daughter, you know, I, I don't like that either. We don't have an authority card there. 
If we haven't built that relationship and she's not looking to me for counsel and, and trusting in, in my opinion on things, and if I haven't kind of taught her those things, um, she's going to do what she wants to do. I know. It's intense. You want a better news than that. It just got suddenly quiet. <laughs> um, but guys, we need to build a relationship of love and trust so that they will voluntarily seek our counsel and our influence. I love Proverbs 23, 26. Here's good news. Proverbs 23, 26 says, My son... Give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. Isn't that what it's about? That as time goes on, we have that authority and stuff, but we're constantly wanting to come at our kids saying, give me your heart. Developing that relationship of love and trust so that in the years to come, when my authority is gone, that they would seek me out for counsel and companionship. And if, and if we do that process, we're also going to seek them out for counsel and companionship. I mean, how many of you guys, now that you're older, you love hanging out with your son or your daughter and, um, and you actually find them to be great sources of counsel, and, and, and there truly is a give and take of that relationship. That's the long term we want to have in mind. Because I think we can just kind of focus on authority all the time and not be building that relationship and find ourselves in that place. And so your authority is temporary. My authority is temporary. We need to focus on the relationship. And so we've seen how to provoke them. Now let's look at the overall uh, pattern for parenting. Look at verse 4 again. It says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I love this. This bringing them up is the same word that's up in chapter 5, and it means to nurture. And so we're to bring them up for what purpose? It says, in the Lord. And it's done through two things. It says discipline and instruction. That word discipline there is, is more the overall pattern of training that we give them. And then the instruction is more the verbal part, right? So there's an overall planning, uh, training, and then there's an instruction part. And what this command really tells us, which is really exciting, I love this, it really tells us that, that parenting is really about discipleship. Parenting is really about discipling your child. And Marcella has a book on that, handy, on that table out there that is really good and plants this whole vision and gives specifics about it. But guys, when I found that out, that was super helpful to think, what is my plan for parenting? Because if we don't have an overall vision for what parenting's about, we can become aimless. I mean, is my main purpose as a parent to give them as much fun as they can possibly have or to make them feel as good as possible about themselves? Or is my goal that they would be the best athletes they can possibly be? That would be a problem in our family. Um, if, is, is my goal to make them the most educated they can possibly be? or to make them as famous as they can possibly be, or make them so that they will make the most money that they can possibly make. I mean, what's our primary goal? This passage tells us that our number one goal in parenting is to disciple them. Isn't that cool? It's just good to have that clarity. Like, what's this relationship about? It's ultimately about discipleship. It's that they would come to a saving faith in Christ, and that they would learn to do all the things Christ has commanded by the power of the Spirit. How do we do that? Well, there's a couple ways we do it. We do it with set times, and we do it as we go. And so I want to talk about set times. Um, there's set times. You know, so what are some common set times that would be good times to kind of disciple our children and teach them? What can you guys think of? Yeah, right before bed's a common time. At dinner is a common time. Um, we do when we have time, and I know I need to step it up on this. Mason's here for accountability. But um, we just do discipleship times where we go away from the home and sit and talk and kind of hear their hearts and hear what's going on with their lives and, and talk about the Lord. And um, you can take them for ice cream or you take them out for whatever. And you say, well, that's expensive. Not at McDonald's. One buck. You can get them ice cream. You can do this. 
and um, talk about things like their friends, you know. Uh, what's going on with your friends? Are there friends that we can pray for? Um, are there friends that need to know Christ? You know, how can we possibly be about reaching them for Christ and praying for them? Talking about school, what are your open-ended questions? Like, what are, what's your biggest burden at school? What's your biggest joy? What are you enjoying there? Um, what are you worried about? Um, home. I think this is kind of a dangerous question. How are things going at home? You know, why shouldn't we ask them that? When we remove them from that situation, I mean, that's what standard thing of youth pastors and stuff like that. But you're shepherding your kid. Ask them how things are going at home. What's the hardest thing at home right now? You can tell me anything. I'm not going to be defensive, you know. Um, How does the Bible speak to that? How can we seek the Lord to change that? Um, What's your greatest burden? What's your greatest joy? And gradually, our hope is that they would open up more and more with their doubts and struggles And we also see kind of where's the need? Where's the need for some knowledge? Where's the need for some experience? Where do we need to coach them? Dinner is a great time for it. I mean, I eat really fast, so it's better for me to find something else to do (laughs) once I've eaten instead of keep eating. You know, take out, maybe read a psalm for them. Maybe um, do a a kid's devotional book, something quick. Don't make this painful, okay? You can make this really long and painful and and everybody hates it, (laughs) you know? But making it quick, real brief, it doesn't have to be amazing. Um, bedtime's a good time to do it. You could read with them. You could pray with them. I started doing something because I was kind of getting like in a rut. I felt like we're praying the same way, and I'm like, didn't want to do that anymore. And a friend of mine introduced me to the idea of blessing them. So instead of praying for them, you can, with your eyes open, you put your hand on their head and, and give them one of the blessings of Scripture, like the one in Numbers. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Not a cool way to set them to sleep, you know, and putting their hand on them. Um, sometimes I'll do the sign of the cross on them. Uh, one of them, I'll do the sign of the cross on them and then tickle them, you know. Right off the Holy Spirit, yeah, you know, you get them. Let me show you guys real quick some books that we like to use. This is the Mary Poppins part. Um, so let me start with this. Uh, I got this one. This is a great book, Children's Storybook Bible, or Jesus Storybook Bible, sorry. Jesus Storybook Bible. We're, we're actually using a curriculum based on this in church, so it fit really well. These are great. Um, these are great as gifts, guys, to families that aren't necessarily believers, because they'll love the pictures and they'll read it to them, and then they're hearing the gospels. They're reading it to their kid, and their kids hearing the gospel. You could like sneak the gospel in their house. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but this is a great book. The great starter book. Do it when they're young, and they like it when they're older too. Um, here's another book that we like. Um, it's my first uh, book of questions and answers, and I'll, I'll send you guys an email with all these things in it. But it's got simple questions: Who made you? Why did God make you? The answer is to glorify him and enjoy him. Um, all kinds of different questions. What's the difference between superlapsarianism and infralapsarianism? No, I'm just kidding. That's not in there. Um, but there's all kinds of like, what's the Bible and all that. It's, it's trains them. And a lot of kids are kind of like, um, there's some kids that are like trick seals and they like to do tricks. And this kind of taps into that. You know, they like to get questions right. You know, give me another one. You know, give me a harder one. Give me an easier one. You know, that kind of thing. Some kids are like that. Um, really like uh, this book. Uh, so this is Eugene Peterson's um, devotional Bible for kids. Love this one because it has the cleansing of the temple in it, which is something that's pretty rugged. You don't you normally see that in a children's storybook Bible. So props to him for that one. So that one's really good. We read this recently. This is Kevin DeYoung, The Biggest Story. It's a beautiful book that's just like the whole Bible, basically, but um, told in a really uh, beautiful way, the whole story of redemption. So we got that. Um, oh, this one's good. Uh, this is the big book of questions and answers. So after you do the little book, you can do the big book. And this one's really great for like going to you know the coffee shop and kind of talk through, and it's got questions and stuff. And then what we used to do is they would draw a picture that relates to it. 
So you had a craft, kind of. We got that. Um, what else we got in here? Oh, this one's good. Uh, so this is the long story short. This would be great for dinner. Um, trim it down, though. You don't have to, like, do crafts and stuff. Like, you're going to hate each other after that. So do something short. You know, do something that's five minutes or less instead of ten minutes. <laughs> and But this has got all kinds of great, and it, and it builds on it. So there's a whole week of similar stories and questions and stuff. So that one's good. Um, this one's kind of a little outside the box. I love the church history ABCs. A is for Augustine, you know, and this is fun to teach them church history, and they're real brief, right? You know, Jonathan Edwards, he loved chocolate, you know, so you got that. Um, so those are some things you can use. But we also do it as we go. If you look at Deuteronomy, it talks about doing it along the way and as you're going. Let me read that. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And these words I shall command you today, you shall put on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk about them while you sit in your house, while you're walking along the way, while you lie down, and while you rise up. So what is the picture here? Normal parents from like 4,000 years ago, okay, that would teach their children. But it's interesting because it starts with them. It says, you know, to love the Lord your heart, God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? So it's, it's about us loving the Lord, really soaking in the word of God, being excited about Christ, and then what? And then we share what's moved us, what's helped us in the normal rhythms of life. Because you could say, I don't got time for that. You actually do, because you're already sitting down, walking, lying down, and rising up. So it would just be about adding that in as you're going. Um, this would be in the car, in line at the store, at meals, at, at bedtime, when issues come up in the media and things, or when issues come up in their lives, looking for teachable moments. And as we're discipling our kids, guys, it's super important that we don't do it in a moralistic way. What I mean by moralistic? What I mean is, is that we don't want to just teach them that the Bible is a bunch of um, stories with morals and rules that they can do if they would just try harder. Okay? And a lot of children's curriculum can be like that, right? Completely divorced from the gospel. What we want to do is we want to teach them the big story of redemption, the big story of how God has redeemed his people through Christ, and then how to live out the commands of Christ by the power of the Spirit. And this happens all the time in subtle ways. I was thinking of an example like, let's say one of your kids, um, you're, like, you're in the car, you're driving your minivan. It was brutal on the way here maybe, or it'll be brutal on the way out. It's your choice. No, it can be either way. Uh, the minivan to church is hard. Satan enters the minivan on the way to church. Have you guys noticed that? But so imagine an example where, you know, you say, hey, stop fighting with your sister. And then he says, she keeps annoying me. And you say, well, you need to stop fighting with her. And then the child says, I can't. What do you say next? What's that? <laughs> what do you say next? Well, what you don't want to say next is, yes, you can and you better or you're dead. Okay, because what are we doing there? The threat of punishment is fine, but do we want that to be their main motive? And do we really want to teach them that they have the power within themselves to change themselves? Okay, that's Oprahism. That's not biblical Christianity, right? That's kind of self-helpy. That's, that's exactly what we hear in, in, in Barnes & Noble, right? Um, how, do we, how would we disciple another believer? Well, if we're going to disciple in the way we disciple another believer, it would be something like, hey, you know what? You're right. You can't. You know, you can't love your, your sister the way that she ought to be loved, and you're going to need God's help to change your heart. And what I want you to do right now is I want you to be quiet, and I want you to pray. Okay, how much better is it to say, 
be quiet and pray and ask God to help you because if he doesn't, <laughs> it's going to get rugged out, okay? Right? It would be better to say to him, be quiet, pray. I want to pray with you. Let's look in the scriptures and see how God could work through you. What we're doing there is we're actually discipling the way we would disciple an adult, okay? Because a lot of times what we use on children, we would never use on a friend. Go to Starbucks, you're there with your girlfriend or whatever, and she's saying like, oh, I'm having so much trouble like with my husband. I'm, I was yelling at him last night. And you're like, well, knock it off. She's like, I can't. Oh, you better. You know, like we wouldn't do that, right? I mean, there's a part of that that's part of, mer- part of uh, parenting. It's just a part of parenting. But that's not all it needs to be. We need to disciple in the way we would disciple a friend, which is to look for spirit-empowered ways for them to love other people. And there's a lot of moralistic curriculum, guys. I'm really excited about the one Josh just got for us. It's, uh, we've been doing it for a couple weeks now. And um, it's based on the Jesus Storybook Bible. It teaches them the big story of redemption. A lot of moralistic ch- children's materials out there. Famously, like Veggie Tales. Who grew up on Veggie Tales? Okay, we got a class to deal with that. Um, but Veggie Tales, I mean, even the maker of Veggie Tales said, you know, that was straight up moralism. Sorry, guys. You know, like they've said that. Um, it's basically, you know, treating the Bible as if it's like Aesop's fables. You know, here's a story that happened. Here's the moral. Now, get out there and do it, right? No Jesus, no gospel, no spirit empowerment. Um, that's not what we want to do. So the, the, the curriculum that Josh has, really great that we're using now. You'll get a sheet um, when they leave today. And this is the actual sheet you'll give. They're going to talk about the fall. And this is great because it says, there's a 1 to 10 scale. It says, how much do you think God loved his people at the beginning when the world was perfect? One through ten. What do you think they'll write? Ten. How much do you think God loves his people now that the world is not perfect? What do you think they'll write? It'd be a good discussion to have with them today, wouldn't it? Yeah, and there's, and there's some details in here. Um, and so uh, you'll get one of these every time, and there's a memory verse. And this is an intense memory verse for children's thing. The Lord saw that the human heart was only evil. I can't wait to hear Ellie say that. You know, she did one about creation, and I'm thinking, like, this is going to be fun. We're going to expose them to the whole Bible. So, um, so our aim in these things would be to show Christ as the hero of all the stories of the Bible and showing him how to live it out um, by the power of the Spirit. Now, as we close, it's important that we have information, right? It's important that we have God's plan for parenting. It's important that we have information, but we also need something more. We need to have an experience, not just information. And the experience we need to have is we need to have a true experience of the love of our Father in heaven, don't we? Because the way we treat others, including our children, is often directly related to the way we believe God treats us, right? We see God as cold and harsh and restrictive and always disappointed with us. We're going to reflect that to others, right? But to the degree that you're able to bask in the love of of the ultimate Father, and see his heart, the full love for us, the more that you're going to be able to love others, right? The more your heart's going to be warm to love others. So I want to take a moment to just think about how has your father loved you? And I'm talking about your heavenly father. And we think about in the beginning. In the beginning, God created um, human beings to enjoy a mutual relationship of love and affection, um, that they would live in happy trust towards God. That's his plan for us, that we would live in happy trust of him our whole lives. And then his intent was that he was going to enjoy a life with us, his created kids, And so we see in in Genesis 2, we actually see him, like, playing with Adam. 
You know, he drops him in the garden. He keeps coming back and doing things with him, right? Showing him animals. Uh, what do you want to call this? And, oh, that's a good one. Okay, well, I guess we'll just have that be its name, you know? He's having a great time with Adam. But, that, but then we rejected that perfect love, didn't we? And we've all done it. We've all rejected the perfect love of God. We've all wanted to live on our own terms without his interference. It turns out that the only perfect parent in history had kids that went wayward. No, well, us. That went wayward. Ephesians 2 says that we made ourselves his enemies. It says in Genesis, in Ephesians 2, that we are by nature children of wrath, that we deserve God's wrath. I mean, guys, we blew it and we deserve to suffer the consequences for it. But then God does this really strange, wonderful thing. He doesn't just let us go, He doesn't just judge us, He lets His Son go for us. Um, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. This is about the Father, right, in that passage. God is the Father in that passage. For the Father so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God the Father gave his Son for us. And guys, you have never seen a father-son relationship like they have. I mean, he, the Son has literally delighted in the Father's love forever in the past. And, and, the, and, the, and the father has delighted in his son forever. They, they, they held each other in the highest possible regard and still do. And, the, and God the father gave up his son to the cross for us. I was just thinking about that. I'll just admit, I would not do that for you guys. Right? I would not give my son for any of you. Would you? Would you give your son for anyone? Would you give your child for anyone? Gave his son for us, for enemies. Did you give your child for enemies? But God did this so that if you'll believe in him, you don't have to perish, but you can have everlasting life. And I love in that verse because it says whoever. Don't you love that gospel word? Whoever would believe in him, right? That this is open to everyone. And um, this eternal life that he describes is an eternal father-son relationship, an eternal uh, father-daughter relationship with God. And if you trust in Christ today, you already have this. And if you haven't trusted in Christ today, why not? This is whoever, you know? You're a whoever. And you could be more than a whoever, right? You could be a, a, a child, a son or daughter of God. I think about when, um, when I go to pick up my kids from school, and, you, you know, you guys have all been in the situation where there's like the sea of children, and then you see your kid, and your kid's like focus and clarity, and all those other kids are what? They're just blurry, right? It's weird. You have that lens. You lock in. You see your kid. You don't see any other kid. That's the way the Father looks at you. He looks down from heaven. When he sees you, he locks in on you. He locks in on you as his child. And, and this is a God, guys, who's our creator, who's always had 100% authority over us and still does, but nevertheless wants to lead us in a relationship of love and trust. Like, he wants to develop that kind of relationship with you. And he's a father who disciplines us, but not in the haphazard way that we've disciplined our kids. Would we all agree we've been haphazard? Okay? He is not haphazard. He never does it out of wrath. He always does it for our good. And he's a, he's a father who's easily pleased. And his commandments are not burdensome. And he's a father who has implanted his holy DNA in you so that as you grow, you can be more and more like him. You can share more and more of the family resemblance. Do you have a relationship with God like that? Jesus has done everything needed to have that this morning. All you'd have to do is turn from your sin and trust in him. 
And Jesus wants to do that because he knows what it's like to live with the Father. And he goes, I want to share that with other people. Isn't that amazing? So we don't have to perish. And, we, and when we know the love of God like that, when we know a Father who loves us like that, it warms us to love others. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we are warmed by you, by who you are. That you are a, a Father who has from eternity past seen us, chosen us, created a plan to rescue us, adopted us. Father, you're so good. And we, I was just thinking about this week, you are the most slandered person in the universe. You're the most beautiful, warm, loving person Lord, help us to see that more. Help us this week, Lord, that as we go through our week to find ways to really just bask in your fatherly love, that that would be in the forefront of our minds. Help us to extend that same love to other people, Lord. Help us to teach it to others, whether it's to our kids or there's so many people here that don't have children that they're in charge of right now. And I just pray that we would extend that to brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers and coworkers and friends and all who are around us. Let's just transmit what you've been given us, this great love. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church, Menifee. If you would like to know more about the Menifee campus, visit us online at cubgrace.org slash Menifee.